0: Hello and welcome to this first session of the Taking Perspective series. My name is Koen Amhuis. I'm a political sociologist working at the Utrecht University School of Governance. And I'll be your host today during this first session. The series is organized by the Change Your Perspective Hub at Utrecht University, um, which is part of the EU's strategic team called Dynamics of Youth. Our hub um, is an interdisciplinary hub. It unites researchers from different um, backgrounds that have a shared focus. And this focus is studying how young people um, take perspective, especially in the domain of education. And this focus has become all the more important, you could say, in recent years due to pressing issues in our society related to increasing polarization um, and societal divides. The aim of the app is to study what is needed to prepare future generations for these um, societal challenges, both in online and in offline contexts. For instance, how to teach pupils to take the perspective of others when discussing controversial issues in the classroom. Or how to recognize deep fake messages um, on the internet. Well, the idea of this series is closely connected to the main aim of the hub. In each session, a researcher from Utrecht University um, will share her or his knowledge and insights about the societal issue related to polarization and perspective taking. I will thereby ask him or her um, to reflect upon their research and their expertise, and also develop their thoughts on how to societal divides might be bridged within and also beyond the confines of education. Well, for this kickoff series, um, we'll start at the very basis of perspective taking, namely how to do we as human beings learn to perspec- take the perspective of others in the first place. Um, to answer that question, I have no less than three colleagues um, from Utrecht University, three professors surrounding me, who come from very different dif- disciplines. First of all, um, Ted Saunders, who's professor of language and communication at the Faculty of Humanities. And Ted is an expert on c- uh, cognitive discourse processing, and he will extensively share his thoughts on how we take perspective on cognitive and linguistic skills also that people need to um, recognize and to take the perspective of others. Welcome, Ted. Um, second, I'd like to welcome Mariette Dahan. She is professor in intercultural education at the Faculty of Social and Behavioral Sciences. And Mariette is interested in the ways in which social cultural communities shape and transform learning practices, for instance, in multi-ethnic classrooms. Mariette will comment upon Ted's ideas based on her expertise. Welcome, Mariette. Thank you. And last but not least, I'd like to welcome Professor Wieger Bakker, who's a chair in Society of Higher Education at the Utrecht University School of Governance. And Wieger is particularly interested in citizenship education in a pluriform society. And like Mariette, Wieger will comment and sort of contribute to our discussion by commenting up, upon uh, Ted's ideas. Welcome, Wieger. Okay, Ted, um, I'd like to start with you, and more specifically when it comes to the sort of well, motivation behind a lot of uh, research in the hub, um, which relates to the, the problems that teachers face. Could you tell us something about this topic?
1: Yes, I'll be happy to. Um, so it's true we work on taking perspective, but it's also true we do this within the hub Dynamics of Youth, and that shows that we actually really focus on what do young people do and one of our practical issues that, that motivates us is what teachers tell us about what's going on in education um, so i can think of at least three issues that has, have motivated us to do the type of research mm-hmm. that we're going to talk about today one is that uh, teachers often complain about listening that pupils have a hard time you know listening to each other in discussions or in the classroom um, because, well, you know, it requires attention and empathy and respect for each other's standpoints to do that. And this seems to be an issue. Um second example is that um, more and more teachers talk about um, the fact that they avoid difficult issues in discussions in the classroom because there are different opinions, because sometimes there's, you know, very, um, well you know, hard to manage type of discussions because people really disagree, pupils really disagree. And what teachers then do is avoid the topics all the way, you know, which is intriguing, but maybe not the way you want to go in the end. And a third example would be that um, several teachers have talked to us about uh, pupils having a hard time um, distinguishing between facts and opinions and, um, uh, you know, just not really know what is really true or what, what what who's responsible for what's been claimed on the internet when they search for information so let's say issues of digital literacy and these all three issues have inspired us in doing the research that we're going to talk about today right.
0: is, so maybe you could say that one of these sort of overarching uh, notions that also Uh, brings these these issues together is the notion of perspective taking which is also obviously uh, in the name of the hub um could you explain us or tell us something about what what this notion where it comes from perspective taking Yeah. yeah i'll be happy
1: to um so the notion of perspective the term perspective actually goes back to visual perception and um well also visual art um so we use this term we talk about paintings you know what is the the perspective that's taken when you look at these spectacular clouds that 17th century uh, landscape painters from the netherlands have actually made um, it's used when you talk about photography film vision media etc and it's actually really easy to grasp what we mean by perspective and if you if you imagine that you can you know kneel down and take a frog-like position when you watch the scene. That's a frog perspective. Uh, At the same time, you can hover over a scene and take a helicopter perspective, right? Um, So that's the the basic idea behind perspective. So you can watch scenes and people, uh, situations from various perspectives. Um, And if you um, actually, you know, look at the, the... characteristics that determine the notion of perspective we're talking about three things one is uh, vantage point so where are you located when you look Mm -hmm. the second is um, your viewing direction so which way do you look Um, and the third one is do you have your filter so I'm wearing glasses right Uh, you can have a microscope a telescope you can wear pink glasses right. so that you are very optimistic, for instance, right? <laughs> uh, or or sunglasses. Right. These are filters. Let's mm-hmm. say. Yeah. So these are the three constituting um, elements of the notion of perspective. Um, now, this um, maybe I should illustrate this with a very simple uh, example. I mean, I can I can go to you know complicated pictures and. and uh, uh, landscapes and sceneries but maybe uh, I'll just start with a uh, uh, this picture right a simple blue uh, square okay um, now there's not a picture and Kun, what what do you think Kun, this this is
0: well it kind of changes right so first of all it looked pretty much like a <laughs> like a blue square <laughs> uh, this seems to be more like a sort of helicopter view as you just called it from like a perspective from like a pyramid or so yeah yeah okay
1: you're smart you're the visual perception uh, intelligent guy here because uh, many people don't see that immediately Um, so it's really the same object Um, so if you then go this this is the top view and then here the third one Mm -hmm. is actually the side view and then you immediately understand right so this simply in a very simple way shows how vantage point and viewing direction determine your perspective if you look at from below you just see a blue square if you look from above you see well i don't know how to describe it if you look from the side you see this and then you know it's a pyramid Uh, so this is um the way it works with in, in visual uh perception let's do another one because this was very this is more about communication and still uh, rather simplistic, I'd say. But still, you are two people. Are they people? Two foxes, maybe, <laughs> uh, discussing um, what what am I actually seeing? And one says it's a six, and the other one says it's a nine. Mm-hmm. So it's really depending on your vantage point what you actually see. Mm-hmm. And again, this is simplistic, but of course, this is what it's all about. Because if you ex- extend yeah. this. <coughs> literal situation metaphorically to the way we communicate all the time. It depends on where people are located, what their vantage point is and which way they look okay. and whether they have a filter and what they actually see. Mm-hmm. So they can really see different things because they have different perspectives. That's the basic uh, uh, notion behind uh, the whole issue, I
0: think. Okay. Okay, so Ted, this is pretty much based on the idea of visual differences you could say um and also the roots in in in, um, in the visual arts how does this translate you know when it comes to uh, to language and communication in in a more specific terms yeah yeah so actually if you use
1: these notions of perspective um and you take that metaphorically to the situation of communication you can easily use the same type of terminology right so um um uh, perspective is actually everywhere. It, it uses, it, it influences the way our mind works, our cognition, and the way we process information. Um, it affects the way we understand things, um, and the way we grasp uh, things. Um, and if you if you think about language and about reading text for instance, uh, it's very clear that there's always an author who presents you, Scene, or the the, uh, the the people, or the storyline in a certain way. There's always a perspective. It's inherent to um, the way we communicate because you cannot do without the perspective. For instance, you can have an author who knows everything the, the you know the the all-knowing author who will say things like, uh, "Once upon a time, there was this girl, and she went to study in Utrecht. She had a great time," right? You can also have um, the perspective of the first-person main character, who is this girl, and she says, uh, "Well, in uh, September I went to Utrecht and I went to my first uh, um, a meeting with fellow students, and it was great. You know, so the first-person, uh, you have firsthand access to emotions and feelings, etc. So this differs. There's the all-knowing." author who tells us what's going on Mm -hmm. or there's the vantage point of this one character who from her perspective tells you uh, how this works Um, and actually this is always the case um, and and this can go pretty far Um, so a recent example that we uh, talked about um, over the last few weeks um, is that there is a promising new literary author Mm -hmm. who used to study with us and work with us uh, I would say that's a coincidence because we didn't know that beforehand. This is uh, Gerda Blaes. Um she has recently written a novel um that's called uh, We Are Light by Zijn Licht, and it's published by Podium Publishers in 2021, so this year. Um and she wrote a novel about someone who died. Um, so it's actually about a corpse that looks very meager and bad and is in the middle of a room of a woman that died. And that's what the story starts with. Um, And then she starts explaining um, uh, what happened by by presenting chapters through the eyes of persons who have been witnesses. So so it turns out that this woman was part of a living group. They lived in a house together, young people in a living group. And they actually were doing a sort of an experiment. They were trying to overcome hunger, thirst, illness, uh, everything... and trying to live from air, on on the air, so to speak. They, li- they lived in their own bubbles. They didn't communicate with anyone. And and Gera, the the author, the literary author uses these perspectives of these people to talk about the same story differently. But she does, she takes this, you know, to the extreme, I would say, because she also makes objects talk. So she actually tells a story through the eyes of the bread that the woman didn't eat or she tells a story um, through the eyes of the clothes that she didn't wear anymore, or the water that she didn't drink, or the, the World Wide Web that she used to you know, investigate uh, things. Um, and it's a remarkable stylistic move that leads to this beautiful novel that was shortlisted for the Libris Literatur Prize as well. Yeah. Now, that's a very extreme example, of course, but I think the basic uh, thing to take home is actually that, that you cannot... Do without perspective taking in communication you're always taking uh, perspective so um, if you combine vantage point viewing direction and filter in talking in discussing in writing in reading there's always things going on that determine for instance framing the way you picture things mm-hmm. or staining clearing and the way you uh, you actually Present uh, uh, issues uh, as if they happened, mm-hmm. um, and often you know it's clear who's talking in communication, but not always, um, and, and that's that's the hard part, you know, because because there's all kinds of subtle um, linguistic signals that actually show who is who is responsible, who is the source of this information. And these are not always clear. Sometimes people miss this, and then you get this implicit framing and implicit uh, perspectivization.
0: Could you maybe sort of illustrate this? uh,
1: Of course, yeah. So I took a few very simple sentences on the same uh, situation. Maybe we can project that these, yeah, right. So you can ask... About these sentences who's actually source the source of what's being said here who's responsible who's in charge so an example like Kuhn turned on the lights because he was afraid in the dark it's clear that we're talking about Kuhn as an intentional actor who's doing something so you know the subject of consciousness who's thinking here is Kuhn and doing things right and um, so he's the source of what's going on okay but if we do it a bit differently and we say Kuhn probably turn on the lights because he was afraid in the dark. You suddenly see the author popping up, right? So here's the author saying, well, you know, I'm not sure, but I think that was the reason. So he's evaluated, the author is evaluating. This happens all over the place. And there's sometimes very subtle linguistic cues, signals, that show you what's going on. Uh, but we can also have a very different scenery. So we can tell a narrative where we say, when he entered the room... Kuhn froze. It was so terrifyingly dark inside here. He immediately turned on the lights. This is a very well known uh, literary um, um, technique, um, which is called free and direct speech. So you actually look through the eyes of the main character, who is Kuhn, right? And and then you get these, these terrifyingly, and inside, and a question, and a uh, exclamation mark, so that you can see through his eyes mm-hmm. and this is you know that's actually a blend of the Kun and the author who makes his free and direct speech and the interesting thing is this is well known for being able to involve readers this technique so it's easier for you to identify with Kuhn because you actually look through his eyes mm-hmm. so people are engaged when they read and they are you know uh, Drawn into the narrative, let's say. Mm-hmm. So this
0: shows um, how, how this works. Right. So you also you just mentioned the idea of well, sort of looking through the eyes of others, right? So taking this perspective of others, how does this work with children? So how do we learn this as children? You know, to take the, the perspective of others. Yeah, that's a good question because you can show how
1: it works in literature and in narratives with adult speakers, but how do we actually right. learn this? Yeah. Um, well, so as a child, you, um, understand things obviously f- also from a certain point of view, there's you and me talking, right? So there's a ground in time and place and we are different actors, right? Um, so you learn, um, at a young age that we are both actors and people that intentionally, uh, want to do, uh, something. And then the next stage is that we, uh, uh, understand that these actors these other people also have their own goals mm-hmm. and that maybe these goals are not always the same right, right? so um uh, for instance um, uh, children that nag for, that say I want candy and their parents will say no right that's an obvious case of you know I the parents having different goals from the kid mm-hmm. so then you that's the way you start to understand okay I want something yeah exactly somebody else wants something else, um, and this is extended, right? Um, so um, um, when, you go, when you go and play with your uh, friends and you want to have a toy, somebody else will say, no, that's my car or, you know, that's my bike. I don't know. Uh, and then you, you have a sort of a clash. And so that's the way you learn um, that they have other intentions and other
0: um, uh, goals. So, okay, that if I understand correctly, these are the very sort of practical, everyday experiences that we all went through as, uh, as children. Are there also theoretical approaches you know, from academia? If you've been studying um, um, this for years. How does this work? What do, what do um, researchers say about this?
1: Yeah, so in cognitive science and developmental psychology, there's this uh, uh, really well-known theory that's called the theory of mind. Um, So this is about the capacity to attribute mental states to oneself and to others Mm -hmm. um, and to reason on the basis of this information in order to interpret and predict others' behaviors. So you actually have to understand that somebody else has another theory of mind than you have yourself, Mm -hmm. right? And if you miss that, if you don't have that capacity, it's really hard to to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, to look through the eyes of somebody else. So you miss that somebody else has another perspective than you do. Um, maybe um, because this is well known, but uh, but it's also well known because it's beautiful experimental work that underlies this theory um, um, that has been done with children. So it, this happens between three and six, right? And... It's actually quite precise. Most four-year-olds behave differently from most three-year-olds. Okay. And they used uh, the, the so-called false belief test. Now, I didn't bring a three- or four-year-old, um, but I did bring uh, something to make this a bit more vivid to you, right? So suppose I'm talking to a three-year-old here, right, as a researcher, and I I ask this uh, three-year-old uh, um what do you think is inside what's inside this box what do you think the three year old will say matches matches exactly and then I say well let's look inside oh no it's candy you know it's candy and you close it right and then you say oh watch watch what I have here suddenly this My sweet teddy bear has appeared on the scene and it it hasn't seen anything, right? Um, This is Barry, by the way. Welcome, uh, Barry. Well-known teddy teddy bear. Um, And um, then you ask the the three-year-old, what do you think Barry says is in this box? What do you think the three-year-old will say? Candy. Candy. That's right, exactly. And what do you think the four-year-old will say? Um, well. Matches. Matches exactly. <laughs> so, so the the whole point is that the <laughs> I'm not That's testing you. your capacities. <laughs> <expertise. laughs> Sorry if I make that impression. But the, so the whole issue is the three-year-old just cannot imagine um, that this bear has a different view on the world from his own or her own view, right? So he just thinks, okay, um, he knows the same as I do, so he assumes it's candy. But, of course, this bear will also assume there are matches mm-hmm. in it, right? So that's the way it works. And, and what's really, really interesting is that, that towards four, this has happened. And, and, of course, not to all children, and there's relationships to, to aut- autism uh, type of uh, uh, issues going on in, in, uh, in individual persons uh, if it doesn't work it doesn't develop in the way um uh, it develops most of the time so that's that's the way it works that's what illustrates the, the theory of mind
0: right um, um and if we could make a connection here you know from the the point we started um with um problems certain teachers face right in in education um What is then so difficult, uh, you know, but also when it comes to the the sort of issues you described at the beginning, right, the the problems that the teachers face when it comes to perspective taking? I mean, the the examples you gave here are pretty sort of... um, pretty pretty straightforward to a certain extent what what happened what changes and what is this yeah so so the development
1: is pretty clear right mm-hmm. you have brothers and sisters maybe and you have your parents and you learn no they want something different with different persons with different and they, we have various perspectives etc you go to school and they you don't want to share your toys you go to school later and there's discussions and people's have other opinions, and they say I don't agree. Mm-hmm. But then you always literally see the people you're interacting with, right? Um, but if you if you go on the internet, uh, I don't know. You know who who's the source? We just saw these examples of you know who's the source, who's responsible. It's exactly the issue with with uh, 21st century uh, um, uh, pupils and and young people looking for information, they have no idea who the source uh, is because it's often not clear. Also, you know, the the um, institutions that actually, let's say the gatekeepers of quality and of trustworthy information on the internet are totally gone. Mm. We Once upon a time, we had libraries and publishers and uh, librarians and, you know, people taking care of what was really true and what wasn't. Anything goes on the internet right i can I can go uh, uh, anywhere and find everything or anything uh, and what's worse and this is the news that we that we find in research on media literacy is that even first year students are often unaware of who the source is, let alone whether they know whether this source is trustworthy or credible and this is Crucial. I mean, think about COVID times, right? It really makes a difference whether I find information on COVID and vaccination, and I end up uh, on the website of the Ministry of Health, versus an anti-vax uh, website where there's not even any, you know, uh, concrete evidence for what they are claiming. So, so this is really an issue that we're we're, we're investigating that how that works. Okay. Right. This type of example actually takes us back to the very beginning of what we talked about, namely the the practical issues that teachers raise about what's going on in the classroom, mm-hmm. right? So, so these teachers have obviously have to work with uh, pupils or young students that you know don't always have a clear view on is this credible. And this is this information credible which are the sources that we work from but also they take this information to discussions in the classroom where you then end up with you know opinions but we don't know exactly what they're based on and they and people will try to stick to these opinions uh, so it's it also relates to the issue of facts versus uh, opinion um, it also relates to um, you know not being very open-minded towards other people's perspectives. Mm. So this shows how this whole notion of perspective, you know, has something to say about these practical issues that take place in the classroom. Yeah,
0: right. Yeah. Very good. Thanks, Ted. Um, Mariette, I'd like to, to move on to, to, to your point of view, to your perspective, you could say, um, because you're coming from a rather different academic background, right? If I'm not mistaken, you also uh, studied anthropology,
2: um i didn't study anthropology but i turned to anthropology later on i started with psychology and education right yeah.
0: so this is an interesting connection and maybe also because yeah. there's this sort of maybe an individual perspective that also uh, that emphasizes and and the bridge to a more sort of uh to a different perspective how do you how do you look at at, at Ted's um that's ideas that he just shared with us
2: well thank you for that question and thank you for this wonderful introduction um And I really love it, how you went back to the basics of perspective-taking, and it really helps me also also think about perspective-taking. And especially I'm intrigued when you introduce literature, uh, when you argue, well, there is always an author, and it matters how you position that author, um, what the kind of meaning is that is produced. And so there is perhaps the link to the concept that I'd like to introduce, which is the concept of culture, how problematic it is. Uh, we need also to take that into account. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, I'm actually want, what I actually want to argue is that, yes, it is important that we look at perspective-taking from a developmental perspective. So how can we teach children mm-hmm. to take the perspective of others? However, it's, it is not the only thing we need to do. Uh, so we need to do more than just uh, train uh, uh, every individual in perspective-taking, because we also have these collective systems of perspective-taking. So uh, if we translate what you say in cultural terms, then I would say that your vantage point of your, look, of the, your view um, um, And your filters are also culturally defined, so particular people, groups, develop through the years in interaction with their environment particular systems of meaning. And these systems of meanings, which are collective, Mm -hmm. um, these sometimes cause some of the clashes that you were talking about in the classroom. Um, So... Uh, we need to take those into account. And, and maybe I can give you one example or maybe two mm-hmm. uh, of what I mean by this, with, with these clashes. Um, uh, and, and it's sometimes these clashes are easy to bridge and sometimes they are more fundamental. Mm-hmm. And when they're more fundamental, uh, then we can speak of what uh, Leotard, the French philosopher, calls a «différent ». So a clash of systems of these collective systems where it's very hard to overcome, mm-hmm. and a famous example to make this clear is the situation where uh, Native Americans are uh, negotiating with the colon- colonizers, uh, for instance, about Manhattan. Where, in this case, the Dutch um, they were uh, they were buying Manhattan, um, and. Um, and they, uh, they, they apparently had agreed on uh, and how this was done. However, later on, it became clear that the Native Americans had a different view on what was ownership than uh, the Dutch. So um, their, their, let's say their cultural systems clashed. And therefore, they couldn't straightforward forward communicate to each other because they had a différent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think these difference, uh, they are uh, sometimes very important in these classroom situations. For instance, uh, a few months ago, or a little bit more, we had the situation uh, of the Mohammed cartoons, uh, where even a French teacher in Paris was killed mm-hmm. because he was showing this Mohammed cartoon. And then you also have this difference, uh, but you know, one party is saying, uh, well, I'm showing this cartoon because I think... Um, expression of f- uh, free expression of opinion is important while the other party said no it is i see this through the eyes of uh, the violation of my religious rights mm-hmm. and and they speak different languages and then you know and then they have no ground they have don't have a common ground and a conceptual tools to communicate and this is what we call culture or class of culture and this is also something we need to address um, but is there, if, if you yeah. talk
0: this way, yeah, very interesting, Mariette. but is it possible then to have any sort of communication or the possibility of bridging these differences or cultural differences or different um, in any way? Is communication, uh, is there a sort of a positive view, you know, is it possible from, from your perspective you know, to bridge these gaps?
2: I think so, yes. I mean, there are anthropologists who say, you know, the, these systems are not translatable to each other. Mm-hmm. But there are others who say, yes, you can translate them to each other. Mm-hmm. And um, def- def- I use the concept of cultural translation. It's like, I mean, you can imagine this as two languages that, we can, that can be translated into each other. Mm-hmm. But um, there is never a perfect translation. So there's always... There is no perfect understanding, but at, as soon as you, no, as long as you keep communicating, you keep changing these two, these two systems, mm-hmm. and you keep um, growing towards understanding the other. However, there is something that I also should mention, which there's there's also the political side of uh, this cultural translation. Mm. So cultural translation and also perspective ch- taking does never happen on a neutral ground. Mm. Uh, because it's always one party that has more power to um, to put their perspective uh, on the table more than the other, mm. and I think the concept of Marie Louise uh the contact zone, is a beautiful um, yeah a concept to illustrate this. So th- she talks about the contact zone as a space where minorities and majorities interact, and where the minorities always have to be have to work harder to make their perspective, perspective seen. They have to always also deal with the majority perspective. And this is a phenomena that we also need to deal with uh, when we want to solve these issues right, in the classroom. Uh, yeah, yeah,
0: okay, thanks. So uh, you sort of plea for a a, a broader also um, a perspective that includes cultural and political um, dimensions, you could say. Wieger... Um, maybe this 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 political dimension is a bridge to to your expertise could yeah. you could you share your your views on what we just heard yeah
3: absolutely absolutely it's, a, it's it's a great it's a great start with looking so direct at different forms of perspective taking mm-hmm. and and the, and the basis of perspective taking but i indeed would like to continue on on um, on your point uh, on on uh, The political side, and I want to introduce the the concept of citizenship, which I think is also very important here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Citizenship, as we know, since uh, since Marshall, is at one hand a legal status, and on the other hand, it's also uh, a a way of participating, being able to participate in society, so uh, to exercise your rights and also to claim your rights uh, Mm -hmm. in in a way. And when you look from the uh, uh, from From the eyes of the the average citizen, then the average citizen is almost constantly feel bombarded with different perspectives Mm -hmm. and different perspectives of opinion makers of politicians that more or less want to uh, uh, want the citizen to adopt his or her perspective, and that's quite and that's quite difficult. And when you see that in those perspectives, there are always narratives, narratives and perspectives on Mm -hmm. certain (coughs) groups, neighborhoods. People with different ethnic uh, backgrounds, socioeconomic economic backgrounds, religious backgrounds, etc., mm-hmm. and you could say that in order to, as a citizen, to 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 have a kind of in, uh, independent position to. To determine your own future and to, to make your own voice heard and to 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 have uh, to be able to advocate your your, your rights, mm-hmm. you need to be able to to look at those uh, uh, perspectives and, and to have to, and you have to be able to uh, to see what kind of mechanisms are used to 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 get you into the team of uh, one perspective. And there's one thing that's that's quite important there. Um, what you see is when you look at politicians, for instance, especially, is that in the political cycle of between elections, for instance, you see that 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 politicians have a kind of a Janus uh, uh, head, uh, the Roman god with two faces. Then, uh, in the period before an election, they more or less emphasise the differences and the antagonistic relation between perspectives, than they want to oppose the others. And they want to you to 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 and they want to seduce you to take their perspective to vote for them uh, after elections and especially the politicians that are member of the government they try to bridge those perspectives and then they want you to also to to uh, especially when there is a coalition to take the perspective of the others and that's confusing also for for a citizen and what I think is important in citizenship education is not only that people are informed and I have the I have the technique to analyze and to see what kinds of perspectives they are confronted with. But they also have to be able to make their own voice heard and, and maybe even create new perspectives mm-hmm. to, as, as as you said, change the status quo between the dominant and, you could say, the, the subordinated perspective. Well, one, one beautiful example is, for instance, in New Zealand, where people who were, in, uh, were, uh, were afraid of the situation of the Whanganui River, mm-hmm. uh, which was a large natural reserve. Uh, made it happen that the, this river now is a person, is mm-hmm. a legal person, with mm-hmm. guardians that can go to court when they are when that river is is, is threatened in existence. And therefore, I think citizenship education is more than only information and and knowing how to analyze perspectives. It's also, having the tools to to play your own role and play in a certain way with perspectives. Right. So. Uh, thanks, you
0: It's interesting because almost the idea of you know an object <laughs> having its own. Uh, perspective brings us back to the things that, that ted Paul also also you uh, know mentioning at the beginning with this this novel um did I, if i come back uh, to you um we already sort of um you know came up with with ideas about you know b- bridging uh, different gaps which is also um one of the the aims you could say the things we'd like to discuss in in the in these sessions um could you share your views, you know, your ideas upon you know how to how to bridge societal um, um gaps um when it comes to perspective taking?
1: Well, I think Mariette and Wieger both um gave very beautiful examples of well, I would say on the one hand, how difficult it is, on the other hand how you could do this. So it's difficult because it's it's often very um fundamental, right? I mean, um, when your example about, about the Native Americans and the colonizers—I mean, if you really have a different perception and understanding of what it means to owe something—I mean, I mean, there's a, this classic issue of Native Americans really not really grasping what it means to own own the ground, or uh, you know, how is this possible? You know, or or in your case, um, in the New Zealand situation, um, that's very uh, comparable, I think. Right, so it's it's um, it's really founded in the in the cultural fundamentals, mm-hmm. um, and then it's it's really hard to get that on the table and to change to you know to discuss the system as it, as it were, right? It's not just saying well no no, you understand this uh, wrongly. This words mean means something else, mm-hmm. right? No no no. It's really about what does it mean to own a place or how can you. Um, uh, talk about a river, and by by actually, you know, having the courage uh, to to this, to put that on the table and mm-hmm. discuss the fundamental differences, you can end up with uh, solutions like make the river treated like a person, mm-hmm. right? But I, but I think that also shows that it's not easy, yeah. um, especially because there is huge differences in background and background knowledge
0: in history and uh, the way you you actually conceive of these these things right um and and in in the context of education because i I think according to many um this would be this would be one of the main uh, domains in our society places um where similar uh, bridges could be constructed um mariette but do you have any ideas of of what could happen so like Maybe even sort of uh, concrete interventions, or or based on ex- of existing research um, um, ideas that might uh, contribute to this.
2: Yeah. So uh, currently, we're actually doing a review of the literature. There's loads of literature about interventions in this domain of polarization and education. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think personally is lacking in, at the moment in many places of um, in in those societies in Europe, at least, uh, is meeting grounds that allow the kind of transformations that Vika uh, was talking about. Mm-hmm. So the kind of meeting where the Native American can say, "Hey, wait, uh, can can I also introduce the idea of the river that they can talk." Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so we need sort of uh, these these new spaces where uh, um, where there's there is a sa- safety enough there is safety enough to be able to have this discussion. Mm-hmm. What we have uh, understood from our uh, talks with teachers is that there is often um, a, v- a difference in view of how majority and minorities would see the problem. So, whereas majority's uh, perspective would be, well, you know, we can talk, but you don't know how to talk. You don't know what communicative rules are. Mm-hmm. So, that's really the problem. Um, and then the other party says, the minority party says, well, you know, it's all well, but we're not allowed to participate because we're not counting even. Mm-hmm. So, there's this struggle about mm-hmm. the meeting ground, even, you know, to find the right terms for the, the communication. And this is where we are right now, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Right. Um, and Vija maybe also then to to end with you, um, do you see any sort of perspectives on on on, on possible solutions in this uh, in
3: this regard? Well, I think it's important that that every every a young adult. Uh, in, in in his period of schooling mm-hmm. had the opportunity uh to experiment with perspective taking in terms of realizing that perspectives are related to interests and also mm-hmm. his or her own interest mm-hmm. and therefore there are and we are using those techniques already also for with our own students to put them in a position where they well to to to, to relate to what what Ted was talking about to could say either the 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 helicopter view or the frog perspective mm-hmm. so so also, our, maybe yeah. the bear perspective yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, imagine, yeah. imagine, yeah, yeah. imagine, imagine. You are the bear, yeah. uh, and and how and and now you have to give an argumentation on what is just in your in your in your opinion, what is right to do, and then uh, and then you have to switch perspective. Mm-hmm. So using multiple perspective, and we do that also in 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 thinking about with students about future scenarios mm-hmm. where they have to think. Okay, we are in that position. This might happen in the future. What kind of repertoire of action can you develop mm-hmm. to have your voice heard and uh, and in that way, you can uh, at least uh, create a situation where you experiment in taking the perspective of others in that cl- safe environment of the classroom. Right, right, right. Thanks. Uh,
0: thanks to all three of you, Ted, Mariette and Wieger. I really like this uh, discussion here. Uh, I hope you also did, um, the audience, and um, that you come back to us for our next meeting. Information will be published on our website when it comes to this new, uh, new session. And we all like to see you there. So thanks again and see you next time.